A few times throughout the year, uh, we here at Hilton Head Island Community Church pause from what we might normally do um, in our services uh, to come around the Lord's table. We pause on purpose to remember with gratitude and thanksgiving what Jesus did on the cross by dying, being buried in a tomb, and three days later rising again from the dead. And we want to do this not just once a year around Easter, but we want to do it throughout the year so that we remember the sacrifice that he made for each one of us, the sacrifice that he made for humanity. Jesus gave us instructions. He specifically gave two instructions. We call them ordinances of the church. They're practices that he wanted to ensure that his church, the bride of Christ, would do on a regular basis. One of those is baptism. We do that in the summer, although we could do it right now because it's warm enough, am I right? And the other is communion. Some of you grew up maybe in a church environment. If you did grow up in a church environment where it was called the Eucharist or the Holy Eucharist or communion or the Lord's table or the Lord's Supper. But this is a practice that is not just for the sake of being like ritualistic. This is something that Jesus wanted us to do so that we would remember with our minds and with our hearts and with our spirit what he did on the cross. And today, before we receive communion, before we participate in uh, this ordinance, this practice that we here uh, follow in obedience, I want to draw your attention and your mind to a particular part of that day when Jesus died on the cross that is so incredibly significant, we often miss it. Because the story of of God and humanity is, is this. God created us, and most of you know, even if you may not believe or have faith, you know the story of the creation story and how he created Adam and Eve and, uh, in the garden. And, you know, Adam and Eve had one rule to keep, and they couldn't keep that. And they ate from that one tree. They ate an apple or a piece of fruit from that one tree. And in a moment, in that single bite, in that single act of disobedience, all of a sudden ushered in sin for the rest of humanity. Romans, the book of Romans, Paul wrote, um, tells us that there's none righteous. So even if you're here today and like you've told a significant person in your life that you're nearly perfect, uh, you're nearly perfect, okay? So just want to let you know that today. Me too. But we're flawed. And one sin, one sin can disappoint God. And so you and I live with this gap, this chasm between what Isaiah says is a perfect, holy God who can't even look upon sin and us, his people. And we have this gap between us and God called sin. Rebellion, disobedience that none of us can escape. And and so if you read the Bible, if you read the story of God's redemption with humanity, you'll read in the Old Testament that the way that that reconciliation or redemption was accomplished was through the sacrificial blood of of an animal, a perfect animal. 
And the Jewish people, those who were God followers, would go in a temple and and the the high priest would go on their behalf and he would uh, appeal to God on behalf of the people for forgiveness of sins. But I want you to hear that in Jesus' death on the cross that day, that we remember today, that in a moment, Just as sin entered the world in that moment of disobedience, in a moment, in a second, God decided that you and I no longer have to be separated from him. He decided that because he would sacrifice his son, that his body would be torn, his body would be beaten, his blood would be shed, and if you put your faith in that sacrificial act of Jesus on the cross, that that sin that separates us from God, that chasm, that gap between a perfect God and a sinful like human would be completely gone. And Matthew records in Matthew chapter 27 the events of that day when Jesus was hanging there on the cross. And it records specifically a really important Miracle that took place at the moment that Jesus died. Because up until this point in time, to have reconciliation with God, it required God's people to go and sacrifice an animal, to to have a high priest, a Jewish high priest, go into the temple and ask on behalf of his people. And this temple was built there in Jerusalem, this beautiful place where God existed, where the presence of God was. It was built uh, uh, in a beautiful way. Most experts, most theologians believe it was 60 feet high. It was ornate. It was absolutely beautiful. It sat in the middle of a courtyard where people like you and I could go, commoners could go, and they could uh, uh, walk through some of those things that God set up as practices. But inside that temple, there were two rooms. And inside that temple was one place, and it was called the holy place. And it was only certain people that could go into the holy place. But even more than that, behind the holy place was a place called the Holy of Holies. And only one time a year could one person ever step foot into the Holy of Holies because in the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant, and that's where God existed. In fact, they were so serious about the holiness of God being back there in the Holy of Holies that they, they established and, and put up a veil. In fact, um, the, the Bible tells us in the Old Testament uh, that, that they were supposed to do this certain ways. And that veil or that curtain was built to, to communicate this separation between us and God. And the veil that separated the holy place from the Holy of Holies where God was literally was this Huge, most experts believe, four inches thick. Not like a veil or a curtain that you and I might think of around our house. 60 feet high. And it represented the sin that separates us from God. And so once a year, the high priest would walk into the holy place. And they were so serious about this that they would tie a rope around his leg just in case he died. Because only he could go into the holy of holies. Only he could go in and be with God. That if he died while he was in there that one time a year, they would pull the rope and pull his body out. It was a very serious, serious practice 
But you know what it meant? It meant that the commoners, the people who weren't a part of that priestly tribe, they would be separated from God. And you see, everything that existed before Jesus' death and the resurrection, there were certain practices that you had to go through to reestablish a relationship with God. Coming to God on our own didn't exist before Jesus, but everything changed in this moment. I want you to read Matthew chapter 27, verse 50. And Jesus cried out again. He's on the cross. He cried out again. He said seven phrases. Some people call them words, phrases from the cross, and they're very significant in meaning. And he cried out again with a loud voice, and he yielded up his spirit. And look at verse uh, 51. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. From, you can say these next few words with me, from top to bottom. 60 feet up in the air, four inches thick, one piece signifying the separation of us from God because of our sin was torn from top where no one could get to it to bottom in the moment that Jesus died. Verse 51, uh, or or 52, uh, the rest of 51, and the earth shook and the rocks were split Verse 52, the tombs were open and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. And verse 54 says when the centurion, that that soldier, that Roman soldier, uh, uh, and those who were with him keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake and what took place. They were filled with awe and they said, truly, this was the Son of God. The earth shook. That veil was split in two. And God in a moment said, no longer, no longer, no longer am I going to keep my presence from my people. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, you and I now don't have to go through anyone to get to God. We don't have to go through a ritual to get to God. Jesus brought all of those Old Testament laws and Old Testament uh, rules to completion in his death. And at the moment that he died, God miraculously in, in his sovereignty decided to symbolize the fact that our sin was no longer. And that veil dropped to the ground and was no more. And here's why this is important. It's important because no longer do you and I have to hide from God, church. No longer for those of you who came in here today and maybe you're skeptical and maybe you're not a person that really like believes in God or believes in this whole Jesus thing. I'm here to tell you that something happened that day that people knew of and they saw and they heard and they felt and they knew that Jesus was the Son of God. And no longer... No longer was this separation from God. No longer did we have to go through someone or through a ritual to get to God. You and I now can go to him at any moment, at any hour, in any place, in any condition. Before the one who created us. That veil was torn and all of a sudden we had full access to the one 
who not only created us, but the one who saved us. No longer do we have to be in hiding anymore because he knows our sin and he forgave us of our sin. First John 1 John 1.9 says this, if you and I, if we confess our sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so today, before we come to the Lord's table, before we come to this time of Eucharist, by the way, that word in the original language means thanksgiving. It means to give thanks. Before we do that, before we come to the table, we can go to God with our sin exactly how we are with no one that has to be our representative between us and God. We can bring it to him right now. There's no reason for us to hide any longer. How many of you remember hiding something that you did wrong when you were a kid? Or perhaps it was last week. I have no idea. When you were an adult. I've told my kids um, this story over the years. When I was, I think I was in about eighth grade, um, I had a report, and it was in my favorite class, which was history, and uh, I, I, I just phoned it in, man. I phoned this thing in. It was terrible. And I got it back, and it had a D at the top of the paper, and big red, one big red letter, D. And I remember our teacher, um, her name was Mrs. Swaggart, all right? And Mrs. Swaggart said, um, you have to take those home if you got a D or worse, which for a moment I was like, oh, good, there's someone that did worse than me. But anyway, you have to take it home, and you have to get your parents' signature and bring it back tomorrow. And I was scared because I had never gotten a D in anything. I was scared. And I knew that my mom and dad had high expectations of me academically, and I, like, I, I was scared. So I went through the process of going, okay, what can I do about this? Um, I have a little sister. Maybe she can sign my mom's name. I don't know. Nah, that's not going to work. She has terrible handwriting, so that's not going to work. So I came up with this idea that a, a D with its like one line is straight and the other loop there could easily be made into a B. All right, all it would take is one little extra line there and a little loop around. And so I went ahead and I went in my room and I changed that D into a B. Yeah, I was in eighth grade. <laughs> I'm not proud of this moment. And I went into my mom. My dad was traveling, and I said, hey, mom, I need you to sign this. This is our um, report for history, our, our, our paper that I had to do for history, and I need you to sign it. And she said, just leave it right there. I'll sign it in a minute. And I went back to my room. I'm like, yes, I'm good. I'm good. I've solved this problem. And she came back in a few minutes later. She was so sweet and nice, and she goes, hey, I just have one question for you. And my mom was the sweetest lady you've ever met in your life. She goes, why am I signing a B? And I'm like, oh. And I just broke down. I'm like, well, it was a D. And she's like, yeah, I can see that. <laughs> no more hiding. We don't have to hide. We don't have to make up stuff. And you and I, even if we're here today and we've been a Christ follower or a Christian for a long time, if, even if we've been a believer for a long time, aren't we sometimes afraid to like, get honest with God and admit to him our failures and our sins and our mistakes? David, when he wrote the book of Psalms, he said to God, you know my thoughts from afar. See, there's no more hiding. There's no more hiding from God. Not only does he already know those mistakes you've made, 
those mistakes that I've made, those failures, those, those sins of omission and commission, those things that we've done that we know we shouldn't do, and those things that we didn't do that we know we were supposed to do, those things that we know displease God, and we do it anyway, and we think about it beforehand. Not only does he already know, but I want you to hear this, church. He wants you to come to him, and you can because the veil has been torn. And you can walk into the Holy of Holies right now. And you can be in the presence of God because God no longer exists in an ark or in a room or behind a curtain. When you ask him to be your savior, his spirit takes residence right up in you. Access is granted. And there's no hiding. There's no reason to anymore. He's already forgiven you of those sins. He's already extended grace. When Paul wrote the book of Acts, he, uh, and, and uh, when, excuse me, when Luke wrote the book of Acts, the accounts of Paul and Peter and those first, uh, first disciples, that first church, um, and in Corinthians, it's also recorded that we're supposed to come to this table, this communion table, with clean hands and a pure heart. And so God wants you right now, if you're here today and you're a Christ follower, his desire is for you just to come to him, just like a child who's not embarrassed to hand his mom a D and admit who you are and where you are right now. Over these next few moments, um, I'm going to pray, and then Andrew is going to sing a song. And I want to encourage you just to stay right where you are before we come to the Lord's table. And just be honest with God about you right now, about your fears and your failures and your sin. Be honest with him and bring that before him and lay, him, lay those things at his feet so that you can enter this time of thanksgiving with that behind you. He's already forgiven you. He just wants you to be honest and come way out of hiding and out of the dark. Would you pray with me this morning? Father God, I thank you so much that we no longer have to go through someone else or something else to have access to you. And God, I thank you that in that moment when um, you were hanging there on the cross, already broken and bleeding, already in so much pain and agony, God, I just thank you so much that in that moment when you breathed your last, that you decided that it was time for us to be able to enter into your presence in any condition, at any moment, at any time. God, with you having full knowledge of everything that we're going through. And right now, before we come to this table, God, we're not seeking perfection, nor are you. God, we're not seeking that holiness um, that we can't possibly attain. But God, today we are coming to you with our faults and our failures and our sin in our hand. And God, I pray that you would allow us and your Holy Spirit would lead us to be open-handed and that we would leave that right now feed, that we would admit it to you, that we would confess that you already know it anyway, and you love us anyway, and you extended grace to us anyway, and God, may we 
come to this communion table with clean hands and a pure heart, God, knowing that we can come out of the dark, we can come out of hiding. We don't have to trick you or change anything because you love us enough that you sent your son to die for us. So we thank you for that. We bring you right now our sin and we confess it to you in Jesus' name. Amen.